The liturgy is in fact the first teacher of catechism. Being more is not just what we get to define, it's how God calls us to himself. He is the more. To do a little mystagogical catechesis. Mystagogical catechesis. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. <laughs> is that a little too hot? Sorry. Be more. That makes sense. Be more. Yes! So look at the transfiguration. You have Moses and Elijah. Yeah. There, there's not been a resurrection yet. No. And the saints have not been released from the bosom of Abraham, from Sheol or limbo of the fathers or whatever you want to call it. So are these, these are disembodied spirits or, or, because I don't like that. I don't think that they're these disembodied spirits that are still waiting for their salvation. I think that that is Moses and Elijah as they were. And it was both of them encountering, both of them had a moment where they oh. saw the face of the Lord in, in the Old Testament. And what if they were actually meeting with Christ on Mount Tabor? Moses at the tent of meeting, Elijah's on, you know, Mount Sinai, and he's asking to see like the face of God and, and God reveals himself to both. And it's like they have this timeless experience where they encounter our Lord and they don't know, they don't realize they're encountering him, you know, thousands of years later. It's like the sort of timey-wimey moment where we see Moses and Elijah as they were on earth, but now we see it from the other side where it's Christ mm. meeting with them on the mountain, where before we just saw them meeting with God on the mountain. I, now that's interesting. Total speculation and not has no place in I thought you liked. I, I thought you liked the, the speculation too that, uh, well, like Elijah was taken up in the fiery chariot and ascended. Well, yes. What Moses, about Moses? Moses has, where's his body? Where's his body? And it says in Jude that Michael and Satan fought over the body of Moses. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what's happening here? Since when do people fight over dead bodies? I don't know. I mean, I think there's also the need, you know, for Elijah to come back. So there's this sense. But Elijah did come back. Mm -hmm. Elijah did come back. Jesus said it was John yeah, the Baptist. Yeah, it was John the Baptist. And it wasn't Elijah. actually Elijah. It was like the spirit of Elijah, no. like that yeah. prophetic. We don't have some like reincarnation type sense. or So anything it's not like necessary that. that he was like put off into like a timeless zone to return Although people do talk about the two witnesses in Revelation being Moses and Elijah coming back. Oh, really? I mean, well, imagine I mean, that. Moses and Elijah, uh, like, talk about a power team, a power duo. Yeah. Well, so then when Moses strikes the rock twice for the water, the, that disobedience, right? Yeah, and then he doesn't get to the promised land. doesn't get to go in the promised land. However, like, there's, it's interesting. Was that, though... A disobedience unto death, like you know, like we would say, a mortal sin is, or um, was there a chance then still for redemption for Moses after that? I think so. Like for me, this oh, is yeah. this is a taste of not like directly. This is what Moses is going through, but this is like a pointing to like our understanding of purgatory, that Moses's delayed entrance into the promised land because of God taking so seriously his choice to, of disobedience that there was an actual cost to that that had to be addressed somehow. 
And it wasn't just to then just reward him right away. I don't know. That's just like us, you know, I mean, the sense of wrestling with the final purification after death or here on earth that God takes so seriously our actions that there really is cost to disobedience, even in the smallest sin that that our Lord. What do you think? Well, you're giving me some looks here. Well, I'm now I'm thinking you're, you're causing me to think about things. And listen, Uh-oh. you know, I, I actually think that maybe not entering the promised land was mercy. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Moses, from the very first moment he walks into Egypt to talk to Pharaoh, the people rebel against him. Yeah. Right there. They're like, you know, you're, you're making it too difficult. And then over and over and over again, I think it's like something like 14 or 15 times through the Pentateuch, the people rebel against Moses over and over. And Moses continually intercedes on their behalf. At one point, somebody actually says this to him. They say, you took us out of the land of milk and honey. Yeah, yeah. And you're bringing us into the wilderness to die. And so, I mean... life works in question? Come on. I mean, so think about this. You're a pastor. Think about this. You're dealing with people who are are not supporting you. Like even your own sister, Miriam. Miriam even rebels against him at some point. And over and over over old parish. And not just for six months, not just for a year, but for 40 years. And then finally you have a second generation come up and Moses thinks, okay, the second generation, they're going to be better. But they fall into the exact same sin. When they get near to the promised land on the plains of Moab, they fall into the, the sin of, you know, Baal of Peor or whatever. Same sexual immorality with the Midianite women and all this stuff. And, and imagine, okay, so you've been in the desert for all this time and you come to a point where they're, they're thirsty and they want water from the rock again. And God says, speak to the rock and it'll come out. Moses is so frustrated that he's like, we're back at this rock again. I, deliver, I, I brought these people out of Egypt and now we've been wandering for 40 years. We're still out of the promised land because they are disobedient and we're at this rock and they're thirsty again. <laughs> he hits a rock. Yeah. And God's like, you know what, Moses? Time out. <laughs> I think, he gets I think, a little time out. He you know, because, gets a little time out. Because I hate to break it to you, Moses, but it's only going to get worse when you get in the promised land. Yeah, that's what I was so thinking. As you said just, that, I've never considered that. Like, what would Moses, um, like you're saying, if he would have, instead of Joshua going into the promised land, if he would have been the one to take the people in, and then how quickly, like you're saying, all this rebellion, like they finally got to the destination, but their hearts aren't in the destination yet. And then the rebellion that happens over the um, generations then, while like in the promised land, I mean, it's ridiculous. They even get the temple up. And they start, you know, putting up statues of false gods eventually. Like, it is so crazy how broken would Moses' heart have been to get to the land of milk and honey and then to have everything crushed by the rebellion. Yeah, it's nuts. The thing is... God is merciful. Thanks be to God. There is really no golden age. No. For the people of God. It's not like, oh, we long for the good old days when we first got in the promised land. No, those weren't good days. Maybe, maybe for like a week... When David was king or something. Yeah. And then he sins and, you know, there's a coup. and his Oh, it's nuts. Take over. You're absolutely I mean, right. And you know what? The same thing goes for the history of the church. There yeah. is no golden age in no, the history of the church. We are just like these people of God who are wandering through the wilderness. And every generation we have our sin. Every generation we have our rebellions. And, we're, and the mercy of God who continues to call us back over and over again. And it's through the liturgy. It's through the mass that we are called back to faithfulness. I was thinking, you know, uh, one of the offerings of the old covenant was the cereal offering. And it was 
it was purposefully, you know, you were supposed to put salt. It was like flour, right? You put some flour in the fire and then you'd bake the rest, but it had to be unleavened. It had to have only salt, no sweetener, no oil or anything like that. Nothing to make it tasty, no donuts. And it was because it was like, no, we're trying to, to teach you to detach from your carnal desires. Yeah. And in a way, the mass is the same way. It's like there's this detachment in the mass from all of the things that we normally get pleasure from. And even the Eucharist itself, it's not a donut. It's like a tasteless yeah. wafer. It's like the most bare minimum of bread that is, you know, transubstantiated into our Lord is to show us that it's not, we're not going to find satisfaction in pleasure mm-hmm. in our possessions and things that are, you know, bright and shiny. And like, it's this sort of austere, like detachment and following yeah. Christ our head to That's the cross. It. I'm yeah. about to paraphrase St. John Paul II. I just read this yesterday. He talked about how, you know, to be a Christian, you have to both love the world because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, but you also have to be detached from the world, right? Because this is not our final home. And that both and is like kind of the beautiful Catholic mentality, you know, where like the kingdom of God is already here, but not yet. But then there's this tension, you're right, that plays out throughout salvation history of God's people of like, you know, it's like, yeah, we want this, we want this, we want this, we want the promised land, we got it. And then we just totally still wander. We go back to slavery of sin. We want, we want, we want a king. Okay, you got it. And now things are even worse off because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses like every other kingdom, right? Like it's it's crazy um, how that plays out when things are disordered. I mean, and that's the life of sin, right? That it's disordered. It's not, things aren't put back as they should be. And it starts with ourselves. Like we were made with a purpose. We were made to be united with God now and forever. And the liturgy shows us the fulfillment of that. And it's beautiful because in the mass, we are participating in heaven meeting earth. However, we do leave mass while we're still on this earth. And then we wander and hopefully our lives are then ordered back to the liturgy. But man, if mass is simply just another thing I do or just something that, um, you know, is really important, but it doesn't actually order everything else. It's like just one of many important things in my life. Then, yeah, I'm, I'm going to replay the story of the people of God rejecting, rebelling somehow uh, in my own life. Each of us is a microcosm of the chosen people, right? Yeah. Each of us called out of the slavery of sin and walked through the waters of baptism. We're in the wilderness. We rebel. We sin over and over again. And, you know, the people of Israel, you know, they had their, their national history. But that's the beauty of the Old Testament is that this national history is also our history. Yeah. And, and it's your individual history. You can see your own story in it. And you are actually part of the grander story too. And the beauty of Christ is that he comes and he is the true firstborn mm-hmm. son of God. Israel was referred to as the firstborn son of God, the priest among the nations. And here comes the firstborn son, the great high priest, the word made flesh. And he in his body lives out the history of Israel only now for the first time he is faithful. Yes. He is obedient. He goes into the wilderness and he strives with the enemy and actually comes out victorious for the first time. And he recapitulates in himself the history of Israel, the history of humanity, the new Adam. And he succeeds where we have failed. And then he turns to us in the liturgy and says, now unite yourself to my story no longer to that story of the failures, but to my story of the victory. 
and you know you can taste victory along with me and that's the incredible mercy of God that says you can actually be part of my victory. He doesn't just go, na 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 na. look, see, it can be done. He does it so that we can join him. That's, that's amazing. So in, he's the new Adam. He's the new um, Israel. He's the new Moses. He's, he is everything. Yeah, he's that fulfillment. And I think it's beautiful then in the liturgy that after the consecration, we have this moment of memorial where we acknowledge what our Lord has done. Like it's this memory of instead of saying over and over what we have done, because we already did that when we did the penitential, right? We've acknowledged our, what we bring to liturgy, uh, brokenness, sin. <laughs> but then we acknowledge then what our Lord has done. And you're right. That's, that's now the memory we present to our Lord. And we have to keep... I love that. I love um, like this very uh, beautiful Jewish like repeating of the great acts of God that we need to continue to do too. Um, and I think there's something so satisfying about that in um, the liturgy and then even in private devotion, like in the mysteries of the rosary, we keep bringing back again and again to God, his mighty works, not our mighty works, because on our own, you're right, we just play out this story of destruction and rebellion and sin and death. But in our Lord... We have the hope. Welcome to Mysticat. <laughs> I'm Your Kurt podcast. Kenny. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yes. Well, this this podcast is about what? What is what is Mysticat about? <laughs> Mysticatical catechesis. Whoa. Okay. Hold on. Oh. Welcome to Mysticat. My name is Curtis Getty. And my name is Father Andrew Strobel. And you've just joined us. We're in the middle of a conversation um, about lots of different things. We'll see. This has been an adventure. I found out today Curtis struggles with the transfiguration. Well, just with with some of the the metaphysics of it all. Yeah. Well, hey, do you like peacocks? I know that's a weird question. No, you don't like it. They're very close to chickens. I mean, I'm are sure, they, do they like, taste like chickens? Probably. But the reason I ask is because if you go to Mount Tabor today, there's a church uh, on top of Mount Tabor where the transfiguration happened. And I always get a kick out of it because in the back of the church are actually like two little chapels, one for Moses and one for Elijah. So it's like what Peter says, let's build some tents. Like we actually did. We built a church right. with rooms for Moses and Elijah. But then um, like there's these peacocks. Have you ever heard of this as a Christian symbol for the resurrection? Oh, yes. Peacock? Yeah, so they have right. peacocks then in the liturgical art inside the lower sanctuary. So they have a, like a crypt church that's visible from the main floor, just a little lower, and then the main altar up above. But they have peacocks there. So I thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, when you think of the transfiguration, don't only think of the metaphysical challenge to, that you have to wrestle with. Think of the wonderful little peacocks. Okay, but see, the transfiguration, <laughs> there's, there's so much going on there. Because even when you just said, like, Peter wanting to build you know, tents yeah. for them. I mean, what's going on there? This, this is happening right around the Feast of Tabernacles, right? The Feast yeah. of Booths, the Feast of yeah. Tents, where of tents. all the people would gather around Jerusalem and they would build tents to remind themselves of their journey in the wilderness Yeah, when they were having to live out of tents and that God himself had instructed them to build a tent to set in their camp, the tabernacle where he would dwell. So this was before the temple. Wow. And so now here they are on the top of the mountain, right around the Feast of Tabernacles, Christ himself who is he talking to? Moses, of all people. Yeah. Moses. Who wandered. And, yeah. And Elijah also, who wandered. Yeah, who wandered. In the wilderness and encounter, both encounter God, you know, in a very intimate way on mountains. And here we see them encountering God on a mountain, but maybe from the other side. That's all I'm saying. And I, that's Peter all you're says, saying. Peter says, let's set up tents. 
here because yeah. here we are seeing God dwell with his people right here. So you know, that's interesting how um, I, I love that, like, gosh, they'd go around to Jerusalem to remember and for the Feast of Tabernacles to remember the wandering and build tents. Like, I've never made that connection to, like, like just consider our modern understanding of camping. We just do that for fun. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, let's just go have fun. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's remember when we didn't have a permanent home. Let's remember when God's people had to trust that, wow, God was going to have to provide for our own land someday. But until then, we have to be in a tent. And you know, the house of God wasn't built yet. It was the tabernacle that moved from place to place. Oh, I mean, and those poor woo. Levites had to tear down yeah. and set up every time. Now, if you if here, in our I, modern, I have a sense of what that's like. I was gonna say, daily... <laughs> in our in our modern 21st century Christian context, if you want to experience this, if you want to sort of relive what it's like to be an Israelite in the wilderness, come join St. John Paul II Parish. <laughs> That's right. We have mass out of a box. <laughs> we if have no never, building. Yeah. If you've never celebrated mass uh, from, um, you know, card tables before, uh, you're missing out. No, actually, it's very much true. And, you know, that's what's going to be crazy. Like, wow, that I mean, that is powerful to be able to remember like those times when we had not and our Lord provided. And uh, I mean, that's the feast of Passover, right? Like we were slaves and then our Lord provided. He provided the freedom uh, from Pharaoh. And so, I mean, and then of course, that's what we celebrate too in the cross and resurrection, that we were slaves to sin and death was our only option. And now our Lord's victory over sin and death is what we uh, what we remember and take hope in. So yeah, the story of our salvation, like again and again, um, that remembering of when things were bad, like is, is super important. I think, you know, just as a side note in the world right now, we keep thinking, well, I don't know if we still, you know, I don't hear it as much anymore. Like when are we going to get back to normal? I think we're kind of all resigned that maybe we don't know what normal is anymore, but gosh, are we going to remember this time? Uh, or even if things get worse, are we going to want to remember that so that when we uh, do go through the time of, of, you know, I don't know, more consolation, like we won't forget. It's That's interesting. That's really well, interesting. Well, the saints talked about how when you're going through times of consolation, you need to collect all those memories like a bouquet. Yeah. So that when you're in the desolation, you can offer it to our Lord. Here's the bouquet of all the mm -hmm. great things that you did. Now, going back to the Feast of Tabernacles, do you know, because you mentioned the Feast of Passover mm -hmm. being fulfilled with the, you know, the Paschal mystery, Easter. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the Feast of Tabernacles, you know how that's fulfilled in the New Covenant? How? That comes later in the year. It's preceded by the Feast of Trumpets, which happens in the same month, um, which corresponds a little bit to Advent, you know, the coming of the king, we blow the trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled in the Feast of Christmas. Come on because now. Because what happened? God comes and tabernacles among us. It says in John, yeah. he pitches his tent among his people. He comes and becomes one of us. And so the incarnation and specifically the nativity of our Lord yeah. is the fulfillment of that Feast of Tabernacles of Christ, of God, pitching his tent amongst the people, condescending to them and dwelling with them and wandering in the wilderness with them. Now that is fulfilled with Christ coming to be with us and to pitch his tent among us and to walk with us in the wilderness. Amazing. That's huh? pretty wild. So that's why we do mystagogical catechesis so Woo! that we can provide context. Like we need to know what's going on. I once did uh, an experiment. I, was, I think it was teaching confirmation many years ago. And um, I asked someone, like, raise your hand if you've never seen Star Wars and don't know anything about it. And believe it or not, there was like four people in this group of like 100 kids 
who had never seen Star Wars and didn't know anything about it. They were like, I don't care about Star Wars. So I had them come up to the front. And then I played them the very final scene of Return of the Jedi. And Ooh. like from the moment that Luke Skywalker sets fire to, you know, the pyre of Darth Vader and then everyone's celebrating and playing xylophone yeah. on like the stormtrooper helmets and the X-Wings are going over with now, fireworks. Now, which version did you show? What ghosts were Jump, jump. Okay, that's enough. Otherwise, we're going to get copyright. Um, so that, um, no, I think Was I that showed John that, Williams. Did he write that specific song? Yeah, he that? did. But that's not in the special editions and the new ones. That's like the old school. And no, I showed them that. I mean, I showed them what I had. So it was like Hayden Christensen, you know, as Anakin Skywalker. Anyway, so I showed them this, and then I turned to them and said, "What is the story of Star Wars? Like, just based on what you just wow. saw, what is the story?" And they they tried to, you know, some of them got a little bit close, but they really didn't know. And I was like, "That is what most of us are like when we go to mass." We're there yep. celebrating the victory, but there's so many things we don't understand. It's like, who's that the guy they're burning? What are these glowing blue people? You know, what's the significance? Who are these little furry creatures? What is going on? And we know it's happy, and we kind of clap, and we sing along, and we're like, this is great. It's a victory, but we're missing so much, and all we need is to go back into the scripture, go back into our history, and it will make the mass come alive mm -hmm. for us. It was already alive but we are dead to it. We're like blind. And mystagogical catechesis in the liturgy, slowing down and saying, what does that mean? What's that referring to? Why is that gesture? It's so important. And if we do that, the mass will never be boring again. Mm -hmm. Ever. I think that that's, that's such a cool, cool way to, to relate what we're doing or trying to do here. Um, one of my good buddies, uh, a priest, loves 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 to do something that i'm not like enthralled by but actually it, it it kind of is what you're talking about with mystagogical catechesis um he loves to to watch movies with people that he loves that have never seen it before like he'll watch uh the scarlet and the black right the the movie about uh the church gregory during, peck right yeah gregory peck yeah, during yeah. world war ii and um and the nazis in in the vatican and all this um and he'll watch that with somebody or the, the Nazis mission. and the Vatican, and the Vatican right? not you, in it the sounded like yeah. said the Nazis in the Vatican. I think I did. Like uh, okay. in Rome, in Rome. They, they were not in the Vatican. Okay. No, they weren't in the Vatican. But or <laughs> or the mission with Robert De Niro. Like he'll oh, watch that. Oh, so good. Yeah, if he's like someone that has not seen that, he will watch it like it's the first time for him because he loves it so much that he wants to share that joy. And that's what we have to understand about the catechesis too. It, this isn't something like, okay, once I understand the mass a little bit more, that it's like, okay, great, now I'm good. No, like this is the evangelization then too. That's what, it's a fruit, catechesis flows from that. We, we introduce someone to Christ and then we unpack it and it's a joy to get into it with them and and really see it through their eyes for the first time. Like, how cool is that? Like, you get to see it in RCA all the time where like the connections start to be made. It's like, whoa. So hopefully that's going on a little bit in Mysticat, but. We'll and not see. only connections, not only connections start to be made, but misunderstandings begin oh, to get yeah. cleared up because so much of what people have a problem with, like when it comes to Christianity and religion and faith and even mass, they're like, I don't like this. I don't like that. It's because they have a misunderstanding. It's because it's been misrepresented to them. It's because they don't have all the facts. And when they see it and they're like, oh my gosh, that's actually beautiful and true. I mean, this is why I became Catholic. It was my uh, coming into contact with my own 
misconceptions about what was going on. And when I saw the truth, I said, well, that is clearly the truth. Like something inside leaps at the truth and says, that's what I've been looking for this whole time. And the beauty of being Catholic and uh, yeah, of doing RCIA is because I know I have the truth. There's nothing, there's nothing in me going, oh man, I'm, I'm afraid to, to tell somebody this because I know they're not going to like it. No, because when I bring it and I lay it out in its, in its glory, in its fullness, I know that they're going to respond to it with joy because we're hardwired to. We are. So... I love it. You know, yeah. that the experience then from someone who's raised in the Catholic Church usually is like, you know, all of us, all of us, no matter how good our witness in the home is, no matter how um, much catechesis we've received, how the quality of formation, we're always finding out more. And each of us has this moment. I mean, you've experienced it, too, where you're like, whoa, I never knew that. And like there's this temptation to pride at that moment. Of like, I should have known that. And then we get frustrated and we get all, instead of just like, no, the wonder of like, wow, I'm actually encountering the mystery now because that, that mystery has no end in its depth. And so uh, when we talk about the mysteries of God, so it's awesome. I love it. I love it. And you know, we got to get back fired up about Mysticat because this opportunity that we have, um, yeah, I, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's uh, shared your appreciation for this little effort here with this podcast. And to anyone who's listening for the first time, God bless you. I don't know what you're getting into, but uh, we're Why trying to walk through the Why would they be listening to this episode for the first time? Yeah, I don't know. My mom my mom maybe uh, shared it with him for the first time. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe. Go back. Go back <laughs> and listen to the first episodes first. I mean, there's really important stuff. Like we have to talk about Thanos' snap. We got to talk about oh, how... Yeah. Cultural Star Trek references is, no one cares about anymore. Garden of Eden. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Mr. Cat. Uh, we hope that you like um, being part of these discussions. Um, please share our podcast with anyone you feel would benefit. And uh, tune in next time for uh, our discussion of the rest of the Eucharistic prayer. Um, the recording you just listened to was actually part of that discussion, but really it was such a long introduction that we decided to just make that an episode all on its own so you wouldn't have to sit and listen to us talk for, you know, a good hour and a half. Um, anyways, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next time.